if you're visiting, then it's great to see you here, and we hope that you'll all stay behind for some morning tea afterwards. Uh, there is youth group starting this Friday, which is great. There's uh, a beginning with a barbecue at Lower Sandy Bay. What time, Aaliyah? Six, six o'clock. Six o'clock, Lower Sandy Bay. Parents and children, very welcome. Any questions about youth group? Aaliyah, please get in touch with Aaliyah. Right, please open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 10. We are continuing our series on this remarkable book of the Bible. Who was listening to Lockie read Revelation 10 and, and was hoping, I, I hope that guy is going to explain all those, those bits about, you know, sweet in the mouth and sour in the stomach and all those kinds of things. Well, I, I hope to explain these things. All of these things are sim symbols. They are symbols that are drawn from the Old Testament primarily. Uh, I would say, in fact, entirely from the Old Testament. And let me pray now that God will explain these things to us. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you'll speak to us now. We pray that your Holy Spirit will come and open our, our eyes to see the truth of your word and that your Holy Spirit will soften our hearts and open our hearts to receive the truth of your word and to be transformed by it. Amen. As many of you know, I've been researching a French Protestant woman named Marie Durand who lived in the 18th century. And after spending a year researching her life and reading her letters, it was such a thrill about a year ago to actually go to France and to sit in the prison in which she sat for 38 years and then to actually go to a house where she was born and where she grew up. There was something remarkable about being there, about sitting in the actual place where she sat and visiting the house where she grew up and the places that, that heard her voice over many decades. There's something remarkable remarkable about the immediacy of that. And I think that many Christians, as we struggle and suffer through our Christian lives, would love nothing more than to just sit down face to face with Jesus Christ and have him sit in front of us and, and, and to speak to us directly. And there are so many of us who read the Gospels with a sense of regret. If only I could, could sit with Jesus as Peter sat with Jesus. If only I could sit in his presence and hear his voice as that crowd on, on the mountain heard his voice on that day when he preached the Sermon on the Mount. If only I could, could have Christ speak to me directly to hear his living voice. And the fact is, brothers and sisters, he does speak to us by his living voice. And, and we're going to see that today from Revelation chapter 10. Revelation chapter 10 is, is a little bit of a, a break from the action, if you like. It, it, it diverts for one chapter to focus on the word, the written word of Jesus and the character of that word. And it reminds us of the power of that word. And what I want us to see today is that this written word that we hold, Revelation 10 is primarily about 
the book of Revelation itself, but its truths apply to the, all of Scripture, I hope that we will see that when we read the Bible, when we listen to this book, we are really and truly sitting in the presence of Christ and, and hearing him speak to us, hearing his living voice speak to, our, to us directly. I hope that you're going to see this today from Revelation chapter 10. We see in verse 1, please follow closely with me, the passages in your, your handout, the one with all the words, the song words. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. And, and what we see here is the mighty author of God's written words. A mighty angel coming down from heaven. And remember that the Greek word angelos, its basic meaning is messenger. And Jesus was a prophet, Jesus was a priest, Jesus was a king, Jesus was a messenger as well. He brought the word of God. And here we have a depiction of Christ, the great messenger, coming down from heaven. And he is robed in a cloud. Look at these attributes of Jesus, robed in a cloud. In the Old Testament, God was always wrapped in cloud. And that was to protect us, you see, for a sinful person to find themselves in the immediate presence of God was a very dangerous thing. And so God wrapped himself in protective cloud. And that's our Lord Jesus here. With a rainbow above his head and his face like the sun. And some have pointed out that the sun shining through cloud often produces the effect of a rainbow. But we're not supposed to be thinking in a kind of meteorological way here. We're, we're supposed to be identifying the symbols here. And the rainbow is a symbol of what? From Genesis chapter 9, it's a symbol of God's mercy, isn't it? God's promise to be merciful and patient with the earth. And so here is Jesus wrapped in cloud with this great sim crowned with, with mercy, crowned with the rainbow, his face like the sun, shining in, in truth and holiness, and his legs were like fiery pillars, unlike the feet of Nebuchadnezzar's statue, Remember that statue he saw in his dream, representing world empires, gold, silver, bronze, and then feet of iron and clay, representing the fragility and ephemeral nature of all worldly empires. Jesus stands on solid feet, feet of fire, burnished bronze. We saw that in chapter 1 as well. And he was holding a little scroll which lay open in his hand. A little book. And so this is, it's a picture of Christ holding out his, his word, you see. Holding out his, his written word. And, and it symbolizes the book of Revelation, yes, for sure. But as I said before, its principles apply to the entirety, entirety of God's word. And he planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And so we are supposed to picture here a gigantic figure, 
the gigantic figure of Jesus Christ, his face shining like the sun, crowned with a rainbow, wrapped in cloud, one foot on the oceans, and he can tread the oceans because he owns the oceans, and the other foot on the dry land, a gigantic figure who rises above all the uncertainties of life and all the troubles and strifes of this world. He rises above them all. This is our great Lord Jesus. Look up and see him. See his greatness. This is the, the great author of this word that we are seeing pictured before us. Now look at the, the power of his word. It says that he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion when he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. And I wrote in my Corner Post article about the, the great cruise ship, the, the Queen Elizabeth, and I happened to be on the wharf right at the moment when it blasted its, its horn. You know how the ships, it's that triple blast, isn't it, before they pull out of the, out of the harbour. And I happened to be right on the wharf. And that's a sound that you don't so much hear as feel. It, it shakes you up from the inside. And here we see Jesus Christ and he roars like a lion and his voice is echoed like seven thunders. And I remember the, the echo of that horn echoing off Mount Wellington and reverberating for a long time around the city. And here we have the voice of Jesus. Now, Jesus' voice is powerful not because it's loud, it's powerful because it actually accomplishes things. Things happen when he speaks. When he said on the first day of creation, let there be light, immediately the universe is flooded with light. That, that, that's the power of his word. Let there be a firmament separating the waters above from the waters below. He just spoke that and it came into existence. This is the, the mighty power of Jesus' word. It's the same Lord who, who, standing on that boat, on the wind and the waves of the Sea of Galilee, just spoke to the storm, quiet. Remember King Canute in the Middle Ages and his courtiers who were sycophants, who were flattering him all the time, saying, oh, you're, the, you're so powerful, O king. No doubt wanting some rewards and benefits from him. And to show them the limits of his power, he had, do you remember the story? He had them set up his throne on the seashore as the tide was coming in. And he sat on his throne, and as the tide came in, he said, halt. What happened? <laughs> his feet got wet, and his throne started to be surrounded with water. He knew it was going to happen. He was proving to his courtiers, I'm just a man. I'm just a man. And the author of this book is not just a man, because when he commands, things happen. And when he says, let there be light, there's light. And when he comes to a, a, a sinful person, and he, he says, let this person be born again, let there be new life in this person. Let light shine into the darkness. It happens. 
This is what the word of Jesus does. It brings life and light where there is deadness, and darkness and obscurity and lies and confusion. His word speaks and cuts through. This is the power of Jesus' word. And when the seven thunders spoke, verse 4, I was about to write. Now, remember, we've had seven lampstands corresponding with the seven churches, and that was all explained to us, wasn't it, in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And then we saw the scroll with seven seals, and the seals were broken one at a time, and each one of those was explained to us. And then, what was next? The seven trumpets, and we hear the trumpets blast one at a time, and the explanation is given. Now we have seven thunders. And when I read that, as if for the first time, I thought, tell me about the seven thunders. I want to know about the seven, what, what does this represent? What is this telling us about the state of our world and what's going to happen? And John was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven say, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. Don't write it down. Who's disappointed? <laughs> now, what's this telling us? Why is God telling us that there are certain things that he has spoken, thunderously spoken, that are not written down, that are not told to us? I'm so glad this is here because this is telling us that, that God's word, every word and syllable of which is true, does not tell us everything about everything. It just doesn't. It doesn't tell us about the day and hour of Jesus' return. It doesn't tell us what's going to happen tomorrow. It doesn't tell us what's going to happen in 500 years' time, in a million years' time, in terms of daily events. It does tell us that, that, that God is supreme and he rules over all things and Christ is most certainly coming and that will happen. But it doesn't tell us everything about everything. It's, it doesn't tell you what's going to happen to you in five years' time doesn't tell you what's going to happen to you this afternoon. This is the, the Westminster Confession of Faith. This is the, the theological standard of our church, the Presbyterian Church of Australia. Let me read to you. If I read the whole lot to you, it would be here for a long time. It's 33 chapters. So let me read to you one sentence from one section. It says that the whole counsel of God, this is about the Bible this is in chapter 1, section 6 of our Confession of Faith. The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith and life, is either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from Scripture, unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelations of the Spirit or traditions of men. Now, I, I really like, I, I believe that this reflects what we are seeing here in Revelation 10. Revelation 10 tells us that God has told us everything we need to know for salvation and life and to live a life of faith. He has told us all that we need to know. But that doesn't mean he's told us everything about everything. 
and in Deuteronomy 29, verse 29, right near the end of the book of Deuteronomy, God says that there are certain things that I've revealed and these are for you and there are certain things I haven't revealed. And so let's remember the limits of God's word. He's told us all that we need to know. And he's told us plenty, hasn't he? There's, there's plenty here. There's no shortage of, of truth and light and information here. Let's look now at the certainty of God's word. We see this in verses 5 to 7. Then the angel I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven. I love, I love that picture of Christ. He's one foot on the, the land, the other foot on the oceans, and he raises his hand, and I can see that hand going right up into the heavens of this gigantic figure of Jesus Christ. And he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in it, and the sea and all that is in it, and said, there will be no more delay. But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished just as he announced it to his servants, the prophets. And this is reminding us of the absolute certainty of God's word, that what God says will happen must certainly happen. And people have fallen into this foolish mistake time and time again. Remember people during the, the age of Noah, watching Noah, foolish Noah, building a big wooden box in the middle of the plain. There's no lake or sea anywhere near. Madman Noah. And Noah's saying, a flood is coming. A flood is coming. A flood is coming. And year after year went by and people said, Noah, you just look sillier every year. But the day came, right? The day came and the rains fell and the floods came up. And God kept his word. And the prophets of old, like the prophet Isaiah, for unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. Remember the great prophecies of, of Jesus Christ, spoken hundreds and hundreds of years before his coming. And people year in and year out would have said, it's a dead letter. Those fools from the past, what did they know? It's now been 100 years. It's now been 500 years. It's now been 700 years. We haven't seen this Christ. But he came. He came. The day came when he was born into this world. It's a reminder that God tells us what's going to happen and we don't believe it and we see the years unroll and we lose patience and we think it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And in the book of Revelation, we are told that Christ is going to return and every eye will see him and every single person who's ever lived will be gathered before him and books will be opened and their whole life will be seen and they will, they will be judged. And there will be a lake of fire where people will go forever and ever who do not belong to Christ 
And there'll be a new heaven and a new earth for those who do belong to Christ by faith. And we're told this again and again and people say, where is this coming? Where is this Christ? It's been 2,000 years. But Christ himself has sworn, it says right here, he's sworn, he's raised his hand and said, it will happen. The mystery of God, mystery not meaning something strange, but something that is hidden and then, and then revealed. The mystery of God will be made known. God will accomplish his word. Look now at the divisiveness of God's word. So I, I hope you're following. There, there is a method to my madness here. There is some kind of structure. We've, we've seen the mighty author of God's word in verses 1 to 2. We've seen the power of God's word in verse 3. We've seen the limits of God's word in verse 4. We've seen the certainty of God's word in verses 5 to 7. Now look at the divisiveness of God's word. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me once more. Go, take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and I asked him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour. The word could also mean bitter but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey and I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth but when I had eaten it my stomach turned sour now to understand this please turn your bibles or scroll your phone or do what do people do these days because when I say turn your Bible to, I don't hear the flutter of paper anymore. 20 years ago, I'd hear flutter, 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 and now silently scroll, please, to Ezekiel chapter 3, or do whatever you do, but please look at it with me, Ezekiel chapter 3. Because here we have the explanation of the scroll, which tastes sweet, but causes bitterness in the stomach. Ezekiel 3, where God said to me, this is Ezekiel writing, God's prophet, son of man, eat what is before you, eat this scroll, it's the, the written word of God, then go and speak to the people of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat. Now, Can, can I just take a little aside here to say that how important it is when we read the word of God that we take it into us, that we chew on it, that we eat it, that we digest it, that it, that it goes into us. Uh, too many times I've, I've read God's word. Yes, I've read my three chapters today. But if you ask me, what did you read? What impact did it have on your mind? How, how is your life going to be different? How are your thoughts going to be different from what you've, you've read? And too often, there's nothing. I've, I, I've read it. My eyes have run over the words. 
But, but here, the word of God is to be eaten, digested, chewed on, taken into us. That's why we have Bible studies, so that you can do that. I was so glad Michael got up our Bible study leaders. Because it's hard to do it. It's a challenge. It's not easy. And we need all the help we can get. And to, so to sit with a group of people and to read the word and to, to, to ask the question, what does this mean? How's your life going to be impacted by it? That, that's the great value of a Bible study group, a growth group, to chew on the word together. And, and like Michael, the elders, we, we all urge everyone to be part of a, a Bible study. There's no shortage of them. I notice it seems to grow every, every week, the list of them. They're on the back of the corner post. Find one that's near you. Find one that has a convenient time and, and be a part of that. But certainly, our Bible reading must be taking in the word. Back to Ezekiel. Then he said to me, son of man, verse 3, eat the scroll I'm giving you and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. It tasted like baklava. Who, who else likes baklava? And, and, and it tasted lovely. Why? Because in Ezekiel, there, there's so many wonderful promises of God that the exiles will return. God will will bring back his people, Jerusalem will be re-established, the temple will be rebuilt. Sweet promises in the book of Ezekiel. He then said to me, Son of man, go now to the people of Israel and speak my words to them. You are not being sent to a people of obscure speech and strange language, but to the people of Israel, not to many peoples of obscure speech and strange language whose words you cannot understand, Surely, if I'd sent you to them, they would have listened to you. Look closely at verse 7. But the people of Israel are not willing to listen to you because they are not willing to listen to me. For all the Israelites are hardened and obstinate. And God promised Ezekiel in advance that the sweet words of promise and redemption and reconciliation would be rejected by God's people, by Israel. And the sweet taste turns to bitterness. Look down at verse 14. The Spirit then lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness and in the anger of my spirit with the strong hand of the Lord on me. Sweet promises, but the bitterness of knowing that God's word would be rejected by so many and would cause great division. That's what it means in Revelation chapter 10 when it says it would be sweet to the taste but there would be a consequent bitterness and that's because of the opposition that God's word causes. And right now, our evangelist, David G, a complaint, another complaint has been brought against him with the Equal Opportunity Tribunal. He speaks God's word. It causes... It should not surprise us. Is anyone actually surprised? None of us should be surprised. This is what God's word does. But it's not just our public evangelist. I, I, I meet with you. And I know that, that many of you have friends. Many of you have family members who are disturbed by you because they know you're Christians and they know that you believe this book and they don't like that. 
And they're upset by that. And, and God's word causes division. In the community, it causes division. In families. And Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword, he said. Yes, he brought, came to bring peace between us and God, but his word would divide and cause division. And we see that again and again. Who watched the antics of the United States Congress this week? And the president giving his state of, his state of mind address, or state of the union, but uh, the House Speaker, Nancy Pelosi, said, well, actually, it was his state of mind address. And to show her dissatisfaction, what did she do? She took the, the written copy of his speech and tore it up page by page, right behind him with the, the camera of the nation on her, tearing up his speech. A speech that caused division. Now, I don't care whether you tear up the speech of a president, but God's word cannot be broken. It can't be torn up. It will cause division. It will cause separation. And, and it promises that. Don't be surprised when it does that. Finally, look at the universality of God's word. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. And this can't be said too often. That this book is not for sick people, it's not for well people, it's not for fit people or unfit people, it's not for old people, young people or middle-aged people, it's not for married people, single people, divorced people, widowed people, it's not for Brazilians, Africans, the Dutch, white people, black, it, this is a book for everyone, everyone, this is a book for the world. Let me say, this is not even a book for Christians because this is a book written by the creator of the world, by every person who lives on this planet. This is a book for all people. It's God's light and truth for all people. It's written to everyone. And that's why Jesus has commissioned us. Think about that. The Lord of the universe has commissioned us, his church, to go into all nations and to take this word, to baptize people and to teach them all that he has commanded because this is a book for all people. It's not a book for the first century. It's not a book for the Middle Ages. It's not a book for the, the 21st century. It's a book that is timeless for all peoples at all times. It's a book for the world. And so this morning, I, I hope that we have come back again to see the, the, the power and truth of the word of God and how important it is, how central it is. I can tell you, as one of the elders of the church, this is the foundation of our church. As I said, you can walk in here and you never know what you, quite what you're going to get in terms of appearance or even 
where we might be meeting from one Sunday or another, but you can know we are absolutely committed to reading and teaching the Word of God, and we are committed to helping you build your lives in it, and that's why we provide Bible studies, growth groups. That's why we encourage people to meet. Find someone else to read the Word of God with. That's why we want you to read it on your own as well. Read it on your own. Be committed. It is a daily discipline, isn't it? But such a vital discipline. I I fear, I I am afraid that uh, it it seemed to me when I first became a Christian in the early 90s that there was a, a very strong culture of daily devotions in the church. And I, I, I fear that, that that strong culture is under threat. Now, many of you I know, and, and so many of you I know, love this word. You really do. And you feed off it and you read it. But if we don't fight for that strong culture of daily Bible reading, it will evaporate very, very quickly. And the church will be left on the ocean, standing on the stormy seas without any foundation. So I I want to finish by praying a prayer. And this is a prayer, first of all, for myself. But if it's a prayer that you want to join in with, then I hope you will. And it's a prayer of confession, confessing that... I need to be much more in the Word of God every day, reading it every day, feeding on it, eating it, and, and repenting for, for, for our lack uh, of commitment to this. Uh, remember that when you read this, this is the Word, this is Jesus speaking to you. It's the living word. It's not a dead letter. It's not a record of, of what some guys said in the past. It is when, when you read this and the Spirit is at work, you are listening to the voice of Christ. In my own Bible reading at the moment, I'm in the book of Numbers. And I confess that, well, what is Jesus saying to me through Numbers? Because there's all these... You know, there's, there's one census after another and all the numbers about how big the tribes were. And, but it is Christ speaking to me, his living voice, actually telling me how he kept his wonderful promise in the past to make Abraham into a great nation. And that should inspire me as I read that, remind me of his promise keeping. Back to my prayer. Confession, repentance, that we neglect this book. And a prayer that, that our Lord Jesus will bring us to it each and every day. And that we will not just run our eyes over it, but, but feed on it, digest it. It's his love gift to us. Let's not despise it or neglect it. So if you want to pray with me about that, let's do that now. Lord Jesus, thank you that 
you did not leave us as orphans. Thank you that you continue to speak to us by your word. Thank you that when we read your word, we hear your your living voice. Lord Jesus, we confess our neglect of your word. We confess that we've not treasured it, prized it as we should have. Lord Jesus, please bring us every day to your word. We pray that we will commit to taking time to reading it and to feed on it, to digest it. Lord Jesus, we pray that your Holy Spirit will take your word and and transform us. We don't want to be like the, the foolish man who built his house on the sand and was blown away by the wind and the storms. We want to be the wise man building our lives on the rock of your word. Lord Jesus, please, we pray, reignite in our hearts a great love and passion and commitment to your living word. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks, musicians.